Hello, guys and girls. My name is Michael Raziel, and you're listening to Our Athletes, the uh, podcast where I get to interview Olympic athletes on their story and path to the games. And today we have Colton Brown, a 2016 Olympian. He is a really cool dude. He's got so much stuff going on for him. Did not win a medal at the 2016 games, but he has won medals in international competition. Um, but that is the least of his story. Uh, he lived in Japan for a little while at a super young age when he got into the sport. Um, he had an injury that almost kind of sidetracked him and he didn't get back into it. Him and his dad, the workouts they would do it for however many years it was, um, is just absolutely insane. So guys, this one is so much fun. I hope you enjoy it one more time. Colton Brown, USA Judo. All right. Today we have Olympian Colton Brown of USA Judo. Colton was born October 8th, 1991 in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Shout out Rutgers, my alma mater. Colton got into judo at the age of seven, was injured for a little while, then actually got back into it at 12 when he really started to take it seriously and I guess that's when you can say his career really started. Uh, he went to college at San Jose State and dominated, winning three straight uh, collegiate titles while he was there. He then qualified and attended, as I said, the 2016 Olympic Games down in Rio. Colton has also won two silvers and a bronze at the Pan American Games. Colton, man, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Pleasure to uh, pleasure to get to talk to you, man. It, it is a blast. So one thing I do with every guest, I mean, that's my small little synopsis. Your story is way cooler, way brought more, uh, way more interesting than that. So if you don't mind, I guess take us uh, take us down memory lane for a minute and uh, and uh, tell us your story. Definitely. So I started judo when I was seven years old, just like you said. Um, I actually did judo in a place called Cranford, New Jersey, Cranford Judo Karate Center. Um, it was, it's probably one of the, if not the best judo club in New Jersey. Um, we, I think the Cranford produced a number of Olympians, a number of national champions, uh, UNESCO sensei, he's not with us anymore, but he was my first coach. So my dad actually got me into judo and I used to go down. I remember going down to judo and watching my dad when he used to practice and I used to just, you know, I, I, I really wanted to get on the mats, you know, seeing him as a kid and seeing what he, what he was doing. It was the coolest thing in the world for me. So that's kind of how I got my start in judo. And, um, you know, I, re I really wasn't into it from ages seven to nine. I, I, I didn't, I, I thought I was going to be into it, but I really wasn't. I was just there playing around, not really taking anything seriously. And um, then I got injured. I broke my leg um, playing football, actually. So I broke my leg and I got back in. So I, it put me out for a while. I didn't really want to do anything. I had no desire to compete. I had no desire to really train or, or do any physical activity. And so I was sitting on the couch. I was playing video games. I was watching TV. I gained a bunch of weight. And my dad actually forced me to get back into judo. He said, you're not going to sit around my house and do nothing. So you got to get back into judo. And, um, so when I was 12, he made me come back and I hated it at first because I felt forced. So I would cry every day. I didn't want to be there. And my dad would, you know, tell me, stop crying. This, you have to do this. And eventually about six months into the journey, I started to like it. I started to compete. And, um, he actually took me down to my first national tournament when I was 12 that year in 2004, I went to the junior U S open in Florida. And I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. That was the coolest concept in the world for me to travel and do judo. So I got on a plane for the first time ever. I went down to Florida and I actually ended up winning that tournament. So it all worked out for the best. Um, 
And from there, I was all in. So my dad used to train me. We used to wake up. I used to wake up at 6 a.m. every day before school. And he used to work out with me. I would go to school. I would come home. I would work out again. And then I would go to judo at night. And I pretty much did that every day from ages 13 to 17. And I was started to compete more junior nationally. I started to get decent. And at 17 years old, I right, but I was still a senior in high school, uh, Piscataway High School. And I, I took, I went to my, I went to the senior national championships. And I was, I mean, the division was packed then. I think there were three, there were three Olympians in my division. I was a kid. I wasn't supposed to do anything. Nobody knew who I was. And I ended up going, I won five matches that day. I went five and one and ended up taking a bronze medal in that senior nationals. And that's kind of when I had my, that was kind of my coming out party. So it was down in San Diego, California. I shocked everybody. I shocked myself. My father was ecstatic. And um, yeah, so I took bronze there. And then that's when San Jose State, uh, the, so a couple coaches from San Jose State approached me and they asked, they said, hey, you know, we see you, you're doing awesome. Do you have any idea where you want to go to college? And at the time I was thinking about going to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado because I knew that they had a school and they had a judo program and, you know, everybody wants to go to the Olympic Training Center. But they kind of said, listen, we have a bunch of guys on the mat. We have a really good pro- a school program. Um, uh, it'll be good. So I consulted with my old sensei, Yoneska sensei, and my father. And they, you know, they saw it fit that I go to San Jose State. And it ended up being an incredible decision. So uh, I went to San Jose State. I qualified for a junior world team that summer. And while at San Jose State, that was probably the best experience of my of my life to uh, to date because it it gave me a team aspect so when I was growing up I only traveled with my dad so I would my dad was pretty much my best friend so I traveled with him it was only me and him everybody else would have teams they'd have team of teams of kids going to these events but it was always only me and my dad and so when I went to San Jose State I got introduced to a team so there was a group of us all striving for this common goal and it made it a lot easier and it made it a lot more fun. Um, and then I ended up, so I did my first, I, I stayed at San Jose State for six months. And so since I applied so late, I didn't get into school that semester. So they figured the best thing to do was, would be to send me to Japan. So I lived in Japan for four months. So I got sent to Japan for four months when I was 18 years old. I lived there, completely different experience. Um, nobody spoke English. I was the only English guy. I was the only English speaking guy there. Uh, it was at Nihon university. So I stayed in the dorms with those guys and talk about a culture shock. I had never really been out of the country up until that point. And to, I, I you know, like I said, I lived with these guys at such a young age, it, it forced me to kind of learn Japanese. So I could, I, I, I've had to figure out how to get around in Japan and it forced me to interact with people in uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. And it was, like I said, it was tough, man. That was probably the toughest uh, four months of my life. It was extremely hard. The practices were grueling. We did three and a half hour practices every day. And then they would wake us up at 5 a.m. to run. So we would do running. Then we would do a training in the afternoon. And then we would do a three and a half hour practice at night. So the majority of our days were judo. I remember the first, after the first two days there, my, I looked at the skin on my fingers and all the skin had ripped off from the training from the geese. And, um, I was, it was, you know, I, I was, I wasn't used to that. So the physical, it was a physical shock and it was a cultural shock 
But without that experience, I don't think I would have accomplished half of what I accomplished today because it, it, it taught me. My dad always gave me the ultimatum. He said, listen, if it ever gets too tough for you when you're out here in Japan, I understand. So you can call me and we'll send you home because you're with nobody. And we get it. Like, you're not, you don't speak the language. You're with nobody. But, I, you know, I, and that option was always on the table. But I knew it would disappoint him if I, if I went home. And I knew I'd disappoint myself more than anything if I quit. So I got through that experience. I came back. I got into San Jose State. Um, and that next year, they named me captain of the team. So I was wow. a sophomore. Yeah, I was a All sophomore right. in college. And I got named captain of the team. Um, and San Jose State's, you know, it's the best, it's the best judo team in the, in the country. A lot, a lot of history there. Mr. Uchida is the coach. Um, he is a super popular guy. He's done a lot for the sport. So it was, it was a huge honor for me to be named captain That's of that team. Absolutely incredible, dude. Oh my gosh. That, that is a sweet story. And I, so, so I do want to just stop you there because I've been writing yep. down notes and I, I have a <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, dude, this is your story, man. Tell it the way you want to tell it. I love it. So um, yep. one thing I actually want to jump back to when you were, I think it was 12 years old. So you, you got injured, unfortunately. I can understand yep. how at such a young age, a, not really being into the sport, it's understandable. I mean, seven-year-old, whatever, that's not too surprising. You're there, you're still doing it just because it makes your dad happy. You break your leg, and then you're like, well, I don't really want to break my leg again, so I'm just going to sit inside and play video games. Totally yes. understandable for a 12-year-old. I mean, I'm the same age as you. You're literally a, a less than a month older than me, and I know at 12, I was playing a bunch of video games, so it makes sense. So Definitely. <sighs> um, so then it sounds like you, you then rejoined judo in that ex- same year. You then was it, did I did I hear that correctly? At age twelve, you went down to Florida and won junior nationals. Yes, so I went so, down to Florida and I won the junior. Yes, so you weren't correct. into it at all. You were kind of just going through the motions, and you still had this. I don't know. Well, let's not call it maybe God-given ability, whatever you want to call it. I mean, clearly, <laughs> you you were pretty you were pretty set. I mean, that I just think that's incredible that you were able to do that. And really yes. just kind of, I guess, flip that switch. And that was probably clearly a very big moment. As you said, you get to travel places and, and, and hang out with your dad. And, and, and um, okay, what, what is the word I need to Is it go doing judo, judoing? I don't think it's judoing. What's the correct? I just, yeah, just do, doing judo. Like doing I judo. usually say, okay. yeah, doing judo. That's, okay, cool. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, judoing sounds kind of dumb. So, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, doing, do, uh, judoing. Yeah, no, no, no. Doing judo. Awesome. Um, so then, at 17, going to the senior na- national championships, what um, I mean, what was that atmosphere like? Especially because you were such an underdog. You weren't, as you said, no one knew who the heck you were, and you just started coming out. At what point did you notice people were like? Was it after the first or the second or the third match that people were finally like, "Wait a second, who's this guy?" Um, it was probably you know like so going into that event, um, it was it was a huge stage for me. I had you know, being 12 and 13, 14 years old, I had this dream of, of being on the national podium. Like I wanted to get a senior national medal just because my dad had never done it. And I know that I know he wanted that for me, but I, more importantly, like I I was, I was kind of obsessed with the sport. Like I was a real student of the game at that point. So stepping in, going to San Diego and stepping into the convention center, seeing how many people there were and looking at the division, how stacked the division was, I was like, oh my gosh, um, this is, it's insane. But I was excited. I wasn't nervous. I was really, really excited because nobody expected anything of me. So I was really excited going into it. And I think that 
I, th- I, th- I think that's what got me through the day. So I was excited and I kind of just let it fly. Like I went out there and I let it fly. And after about the second, yeah, the, uh, no, the third match. So my third match, I beat a guy that I really was not supposed to beat, really good guy from Chicago. And I ended up beating him, seasoned veteran, and I beat him pretty fast. And then I was like, oh, wow, I can do this. Like, I can get a medal at this tournament. And it all sunk in. And, yeah, I was just kind of I was kind of riding the wave that day. Was there any – once you realized that or once you noticed people whispering and starting to pay attention to you, was there then any pressure? Because obviously going in, as you said, there was no – we're doing this for fun at pretty much at this point. And then you start to get to the point where, Oh, well maybe there is an opportunity. So was there any pressure on you at some point or was it still, as you said, you kind of just like, wow, this is cool. Let's just keep going. Yeah, no, no, no pressure. There was no pressure that day. I was having fun. Um, it was real. I remember that day being incredibly fun for me. And I was just, I remember going out and being like, listen, I can, I just want to go out and I want to put everybody on their back. That's what, that was my goal. I was like, mm-hmm. I want to throw everybody as fast as possible, as hard as possible. And I want to, you know, let's see, let's see what I can do. And there was, that was one of the very few days of my career that I didn't feel nervous and there was no pressure. Probably one of the happiest days of your career too, then I'm guessing no pressure. Yeah, it was, that, that was awesome. happy. Yeah. I remember that day very vividly. It was, I was really happy. My dad was really proud of me. Um, and you know, I shocked a lot of people and I, I think that, uh, cause I was working hard up into that point and I think that really says something. Yeah, man, that's absolutely incredible. Um, so then you, while you're out there, it makes sense that a California team comes by and says, Hey, wait a second guy, we should, uh, we should probably talk. So, um, explain the process of going to Japan. Cause you kind of said it nonchalantly. You were like, yeah, well I couldn't go to college. So I guess the next possible thing to do is go to Japan. I mean, obviously I'm assuming, um, uh, judo being a martial art, uh, it, it's probably going to be a little more prominent in, in Eastern, um, Eastern cultures, but was, is that like, it doesn't sound like a normal thing. And again, you said it very nonchalantly. So I don't know. I'm sure there was more that went into the decision than, well, I can't go to college. So guess this is the next thing to do. Right. Yeah, so I'll get into that. So, um, yeah, so I couldn't – so like I said, I applied too late to San Jose State, so I couldn't get in. So I went to community college for um, – I was so I went to a junior college out there for three months? Three months. And then after that, uh, I was like, all right, I'm just going to – I'm going to go to Japan. So what happened was my – Yoneska sensei from New Jersey spoke to my dad, and they thought that it would be a good idea – for me to just go to Japan. They were like, listen, he's not going to be in, he's not going to get into, he'll get into university next semester. So we'll send him to Japan for four months. And I knew the training. So the training in Japan is extremely, extremely hard. Judo is a national sport over there. So it's really, it's really tough. It's extremely popular. Judo was on TV in Japan, like football is on TV here. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's an, it's, and that's how it is mostly, most of the places around the world, like Paris, France, I think there's 10,000 people in the stands. Like, I mean, when we're, when we're fighting out there and things like that. So judo is huge overseas. It's just not that, it's not that popular in the U S but when we travel, which, and we travel pretty much every weekend when we're traveling, um, judo is huge. It's televised everywhere through all, all throughout Europe, all throughout Asia, just to give you an idea. Mm -hmm. So we were, I'm at this university and they have it's the judo dormitories. So, I mean, maybe there were, I'm trying to think, probably about 50 guys on the team, 50, 55 guys. And that's one of the smaller schools in Japan. 
but they were really they always come in the in the top eight in the all Japan college championships, which again are hosted in Tokyo. There's uh, six seven thousand people in the stands watching. The place is going insane. Um, and I was I didn't know that. So all I knew was judo in the U.S. at this time. So when I went there, I was like, oh wow, this is insane. And it all started with the training. I, I realized how hard these guys trained, how serious they took it. And yeah, like I said, we were training four and a half hours a day. It was insane, four and a half, five hours a day. So I mean, the training itself was was a was a, was a shock to me. And that's, yeah, that that was a, so that was the first shock that I had when I was out there. Yeah, that's that's really cool, man. And I just think it's it's impressive that your sensei and your, and your father and everyone kind of your, your, um, your brain trust, let's call them. They were all like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's send 18 year old Colton halfway across the world um, <laughs> and, and kind of see, you know, throw, throw them into the fire. And clearly, man, you, um, it worked. Um, it clearly worked. I mean, as you've been saying, like the, the training itself and everything around it has just really helped you understand exactly what you've needed to do. And then the cultural shock too, I think can really, you know, get your brain ready, I guess, for a better lack of a better term where you can really understand what it's going to take um, to compete on such a unbelievably high level. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very cool. That, man. So definitely uh, one thing I actually want to do. So I'm going to actually, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to take a pause from your, your, um, your story for a second. And, and mm -hmm. we've talked about it a little bit, but can you actually explain what judo is for myself as well as the audience? Yes. I've, seen it. I've seen it, but I don't really know what's going on, to be honest with you. Yeah. So judo is uh, judo is a martial art, as you know. Um, it's, you know, it's probably most similar to wrestling. Everybody hears judo and they think, oh, karate, punching, kicking, taekwondo. But judo, there's no punching and there's no kicking in judo. The objective of judo is to, there's two guys fighting, and my objective is to, is to get my opponent on his back. So it's, to grap it's a grappling art. And my objective is to throw him on, onto his back. So there's two scores in judo now. There's a half a point and there's a full point for throwing. So judo match starts on, we start on our feet. And if I throw you onto your side, it's a half a point. If I throw you on the, flat onto your back with complete force, it's a full point and the match is over. It's equivalent to a knockout in boxing. So that is the goal of judo, is to throw, on the, is to throw the opponent on his back. Or you can win on the ground. So if we go to the ground, you can win by a pin, a choke, or an arm bar. So we pin, if I pin my opponent for 20 seconds flat on his back, I win that way. Or if I choke my opponent where he taps or they pass out, I can win like that. Or if I arm bar my opponent and they submit, I win like that. Very interesting. Awesome. So thank you so much for that little rundown. Um, I'm sure yep. – Technically speaking, there's a little bit more that goes into it. But yes, at, at this point, we'll take a uh, very, just a good understanding of exactly what I'm watching. So, so some of these matches, it sounds like can end relatively quickly if you get the upper hand pretty soon, right? Oh, yeah. Like I've seen, I've had matches myself that have ended in, in five seconds, some in my favor, some not. But yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yep. So that, that can be quick. And then again, some of them can probably last, um, last a little while as well. So definitely there's that discrepancy there. Yes. Well, it's a four-minute match, and okay. if there's no score at the end of regulation, they, we go into what's called a golden score period for the first wins. First throw wins? Yeah, first throw okay. wins or submission wins. Yeah. So, yeah, golden goal for soccer. Love it. That's fantastic. Very easy. Yes. And that, that's awesome. All right, cool. So now let's go 
back to your story. So you're a sophomore at San Jose State. You were just named captain. San Jose State, as you said, is one of the best um, judo schools, judo programs in the NCAAs in, in America. What, um, yeah. like, as you said, that that feeling of being named captain so young, really only being there for what a half a year at that point. Like, what did that mean to you to be named um, such a high honor um, at San Jose State? Uh, it was you know it was it was a it was a great feeling for me because the the previous captain before was Marty Malloy, and I think she was she might have been the first female captain at that point. But she's an Olympic bronze medalist and my really really close friend now. Um, but yeah, so she was the captain before and to be named that after her to follow in her footsteps was like, all right, now I have big shoes to fill. So it was, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a humbling experience, but it, it was really, it was really, um, I was excited to do it. So when I got named captain, it was, I was really young. They told me, listen, you know, you, you, you kind of have to in a sense, put the team on your back and they have to be able to trust you and you have to, you know, be a leader. And I wasn't really used to that at this point. I just knew how to work hard. So I was a hard worker, and I think that's why they named me captain. But I had to really learn how to lead by example and communicate with people. And, again, this goes back to that Japan where I was taught in Japan. I was kind of thrown into a situation, and I had to learn how to communicate with these people and how to, how to be successful. That is very impressive, man. And thankfully you were there to do that because I don't think I would have been able to do something like that. So we really appreciate <laughs> your time, your effort, your service. So thank you so much uh, for being able to do something like that. Cause that is very, very impressive. So um, while at college, obviously, as we spoke about before, you won three straight titles. So I'm assuming that was your sophomore, your junior and your senior year. Yes. That okay. was it. Yep. Sophomore, and, and, junior and senior year. And during and right after so i graduated in 2014 which probably means you graduated right around 2014 correct i graduated in 2015 2015 okay that, that makes yeah. sense um so yeah. while you were there at what point was the olympics kind of on your radar was it after the first title the second title at, at what point because obviously you almost went to the olympic training center as you said before so what at, at what point were you just like oh my gosh maybe i should try and do this um, well going like, so after I, after I medaled at the nationals in 2009, when I was 17, that's what I, that's when the Olympic thing started happening. That's when like the Olympic thought started coming into my head. And what happened was in 2012, so I was training at San Jose and in 2012, the Olympic games were in London and Travis Stevens, who is an Olympic silver medalist from the U S and is now my coach was an athlete. And he took me as his training partner. So the USOC paid for me, US Olympic Committee paid for me to go to the Olympics. So I got to go to the Olympics. I got to get the Olympic experience as a training partner. I didn't qualify, so I didn't compete. But I was a training partner. And seeing that, being in London, seeing the Olympics, see, getting the Olympic experience, seeing all the athletes compete, then I was like, the, the dream really became a reality. Then I was like, okay, I have to do this. Yeah, that's when it really happened. Absolutely, yeah that 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 completely makes sense. Getting that, op I mean, there's not many athletes that really get that opportunity. But the, what I've found is the few that really do get that slight opportunity, where you can kind of you get so close you can actually taste it without actually being able to swallow it. Let's say um, yes. is definitely an experience that. I mean, what did did that just pretty much kick you into overdrive at that point, and you were like, "I'm going to stop at nothing." Definitely, that's exactly what that did. So. 
because the Olympic qualification process is so hard. So like I said, if it was just in this country, if I could win the nationals or be number one in this country, it would be a lot easier. But the way the way you qualify for the Olympics in judo is they take the top 24 people. Well, it used to be. This is how the Olympic qualification was for Rio. They take the top 24 men and six, 18 women um, to the Olympics in the world. So they take that. So you have to you have to go to all these tournaments overseas to qualify. So you get these. So you get points for going for going and meddling and winning matches at different tournaments overseas. And that's how you get to the Olympics. So they take the top 24 men in the world and top 18 women in the world get to go to the Olympics. That's how the qualification was for 2016. Okay. And how many were, um, how many was the United States allowed to take? And I guess how, how, how is that determined? Um, so to answer your first question, the U S could, that we could take 14 athletes. So there's seven men's weight classes and there's seven women's weight classes. Okay. So we could take one in every weight class if we qualified that weight class. Mm-hmm. But we only ended up taking, there were, there were six people at the Olympics. So we only qualified six weight classes. So only six people qualified from the U.S. to the Olympics in 2016. That just shows you how tough it was yeah. to get there. Yeah, I mean, especially when it's done like that. I mean, with so many, and, and the, another interesting thing that I keep doing with this um, podcast and learning is just because no one really watches qualifiers. We kind of just turn on the TV in when the Olympics are on, and it's just like, oh, cool, there's an American in this sport. So I'm really glad you're able <laughs> to explain that and really give people an understanding because it turns out every single sport pretty much is different. Um, even yes. disciplines within sports are different than each yes. other. So I think that that's pretty important. And, and sorry for the double question. That's something I'm really trying to work on. I do that a lot. So thank you for answering both of those. Um, that is my bad. Uh, sorry. No, about no, no, um, no problem. I'm getting better. I promise, man. You should, you should have heard the first couple. Actually. Yeah. Go back no. and listen to the first couple. The, the athlete <laughs> stories are great, but I talk a lot. Um, so you, you, you get this taste, you get to go shout out. What was his name? Your coach, Travis Stevens, Travis Stevens. Yeah. He's a Olympic Travis silver Stevens. medalist. Shout yeah. out to him. It's probably a really great coach to have. I love that. That is phenomenal. So, so then you kick it into overdrive. You're really starting to crush it. At what point, um, like, and then I guess just describe the whole process of you qualifying for the Olympics and then actually getting able to go. Like, what was that whole process like? Yep, definitely. So what happened was, so that, that was 2012. So now I'm, I'm trying to qualify for 2016 Olympics. Four-year process. In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is going to, you know, this going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But it was, there were, there were many trials and tribulations throughout that period. So what happens is um, I get to, let's, let's see where we want to go. So in 2013, I fight in a tournament called the, it's in Miami, but it's an international event. It's a Grand Prix event. It's a pretty big event in judo. In judo, there's the Olympic Games, the World Championships, Grand Slams, Grand Prix, and then World Cups. So the Grand Prix is a pretty big event. It's an international event. All, all the countries in the world are welcome to come and compete. I ended up getting a bronze medal there. So I took bronze in 2013 in Miami. That was my coming out party for the senior elite circuit, if you mm-hmm. want to call it. And then I was like, okay, now I can really, really do this. Like now I'm competing with the best guys in the world. Um, it's, it, let's, let's get this done. So I qualified for my first world championships in 2013. I lost first round in probably about a minute to the Russian guy. And I was discouraged for a little bit, but I kept going. I kept competing. I got multiple World Cup medals. I think I might have gotten 
six or seven World Cup medals the last quad, and I got the Grand Prix medal. And um, so that's going. So going into 2016, I was number 29 or 30 in the world. Oh, so you were close. I was very close to making it or not making. It. Mm-hmm. So it all came down to one tournament for me. So the last tournament of qualification, the last tournament of the qualification period were the Pan American Championships. Big event. Um, I had never medaled in this. I went in 2013, 2014, 2015. I took three fifth, I had three fifth place finishes. I never medaled. And in order for me to qualify for the Olympics, I would have had to take gold or silver in the Pan American Championships. So it all came down, four years came down to one event, and I had never medaled at that event before. So, event was in Cuba. It was in Cuba 2016. It was in April of 2016. Um, again, I trained incredibly hard. I was training in Boston for this event. Uh, we had an incredibly grueling training camp. It was very tough. Um, and I remember going into this tournament, I was not nervous. Again, I, I, there was a lot of pressure. I knew it, but for whatever reason on that day, I had the mindset that I was just going to do it. I said, listen, I trained way too hard to not qualify for the Olympics because of this one event. I was like, I can do it. I had to put three matches together. That would have got me in the final. That would have guaranteed my spot on the Olympic team. First match I came out, I pinned my opponent in 25, 30 seconds maybe. That was quick. Uh, second match, I won in about two minutes. I threw the guy in two minutes. Third match, my semifinal match, I was fighting a guy from Mexico, but who trains in Cuba. I, I was 0-4 against him. I'd never beaten him in my career. Um, and I had actually lost to him the month before that. And he, he beat me up pretty bad. So going into that, that and the, like I said, this is the match where if I win, I make the Olympic team. If I lose, I don't. And I went into that match confident that I was going to win. There was no score at the end of regulation. Back then, the matches were five minutes. There were no score at the end of five minutes. We went into golden score. Um, we're fighting, we're fighting, we're fighting. Nobody can throw anybody, but I sensed that he was getting tired. I said we trained really hard for this, so I knew I was going to be in better shape than anybody I fought. And the deeper we went, the more confident I got. And I, he actually got another – so he got his final penalty about maybe three minutes into golden score. So we were fighting for about eight minutes. He got his final penalty, and I ended up winning the match, and I made it to the finals, and I qualified for the Olympics. That's awesome, man. That like, yeah, I mean, especially for something that's only supposed to last four or five minutes, and going for eight grueling, I'm sure minutes. That yes. was that. That must have made it so much more worth it, um, because I mean, it's one of those things where, yeah, as you said, it comes down to literally the last possible chance you have. Down to yep. one of the last, I mean, you were in sudden death elimination at that point and you were still able to overcome it. So I just think that is awesome, man. Congratulations. That is a sweet, sweet story. Uh, you took silver, which is still absolutely incredible, right? Like that's still impressive, but, um, you know, unfortunately losing that match, but who cares, man? I mean, I'm sure you cared, Let me <laughs> but, at the same time, but at the same time you got there, you did what you needed exactly to do. Um, and, and you were able to go to the game. So, t- so tell us about that experience. What was it like? What was the atmosphere like um, going to Rio, getting to meet all the, the other um, uh, U.S. Olympians, everything along those lines? How, how, uh, how did you enjoy that? Uh, it, was, it was probably one of the greatest experiences of my life. You dream about it. You think about it when you're a kid. I thought about this all when I was 
12 years old, I was watching the Olympics in Athens, and I was dreaming, man, what if I get to go there one day? So you think about it, it's constantly in your head, and then you're there. So I arrived in Rio uh, at the Olympic Village. Um, I, you're seeing all these athletes around the world, not just U.S. athletes, but all these athletes, these great athletes from around the world who all have a common goal. And the goal is to excel or to be exceptional in whatever sport they're doing. And, you know, to be around such greatness, it was a, it was a great environment. To be around such greatness, I was honored. So it was, it, the Olympics, it was, I think we were there for three weeks, but it, it felt like it was three days. It went by so fast. It was a great, you know, it was so fun. You know, we're walking through the village, you see a, you see a guy like Michael Phelps. And we, or the, the basketball players, the basketball team, the, these famous NBA players, Serena Williams and all these people. So it was, you know, just seeing these people that you normally only see on TV, you know, you're competing alongside them, Team USA. It was an honor. And, you know, I, I going there and fighting and, you know, I won my first match in 21 seconds and hearing the crowd go crazy, walking out, it, it, was, it was incredible. There's, there's, there's no, no, none of my words can do it, can do it justice because it was just an incredible experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and that's why I really enjoy talking to Olympic athletes because you guys can explain it better than I'll ever be able to experience it. So I'll at least yeah. take it. No words um, are better than, than me just trying to put words to it. So I think that is awesome, man. And, and congratulations. You clearly deserved it from the age of 12, practicing, getting up at six in the morning to work out finally. Um, you know, that's not the first time it paid off, but it got you, you know, to one of the, the highest possible peaks, um, in your sport. And I just think that is, is absolutely fantastic. So one thing I also like to, to hear about with athletes, um, many, uh, and, and this goes both ways, which is really cool. Some athletes try and make the Olympics play it down. Hey, it's just another match. Hey, it's just another run. Not a big deal. Let's just, let's just keep it cool. And others really try to embrace it and realize like, all right, there's a billion people that are watching me right now. Like, let's do this. What was it like knowing that? And I understand that you said when you're in Europe, when you're around the world, judo is significantly bigger. But now, you know, there, and because it was in the same time zone, I mean, there was 30 million, 200 million, however many people, maybe not 200, yeah. that's excessive, but there's millions and millions of people <laughs> now watching you um, yeah. and your sport, which really doesn't happen too often. Which, which camp did you fall in? Did you kind of embrace it or did you try and like play it off like it was just another event? You know, going into it, so going into the games, um, it was a little, it was a bit overwhelming at first because you're doing a lot of media. There's a lot you have to do. So when you get there, you have to keep up with your media uh, relations and um, people are interviewing you and there's a lot, a lot, a lot that's going on. You still have to practice, you still have to make weight and you still have to kind of stay present and stay in the moment. Like, hey, I'm here to fight. I'm not here for all this other stuff that's going on. So that kind of, I had, you know, I took a couple of days. To, it took me a couple of days to realize that I had to take a back seat to was actually here to do. Um, so, so going in, I was in a, I was more in a mindset of this is just another event, this is just another tournament. Because in judo, you it, no matter where you are in the world, it's the same thing. It's going to be a mat. There's going to be a guy across from you. There's going to be a referee in the middle. There's going to be a huge crowd watching you, and you know, you just have to, you got to go out there and fight. So I didn't want to overplay it. I didn't want to make it bigger than it actually was. But at the same time, I was like, hey, anything can happen at this event. You know, I can go out here and potentially beat everybody and it'll be a huge success. But 
I had to stay present. So I was, I was present, but I knew in the back of my head that you have, a, you have an opportunity here to do something that very, very few people in the world have, have an opportunity to do. So I kept that in mind. That is, I love that, man. That is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for describing that. Cause I always find that very interesting. Um, yeah. because I know personally I would crumble in like two seconds. That's not even a question. <laughs> I would, I would fall apart and just be happy at least that I made it there. So, um, not you clearly. And that's why we send athletes like you and not, <laughs> not people that talk into microphones like me. So another thing, um, so obviously you go there, as you said, you won your first match in 21 seconds. That is incredible. Um, what, uh, how did the rest of your matches go while you, while you were in Rio? Um, so I would have had to win. So I won that match and I would have had to beat the next guy. If I beat the next guy, I would have made it to the quarterfinals. And then I would have, you know, I would have been in the tournament board, but mm -hmm. unfortunately I fought a guy from France the next round. I got down a score early. So he threw me for a half a point early and I couldn't get it back. I almost, you know, I got, I think I got three penalties on him. If I would have gotten one more. He would have been disqualified, but I didn't, and he beat me, and it went it went really fast. But I gave I gave it 100. percent So I ended up essentially finishing ninth. I finished ninth at the Olympics, but it was you know I, I left everything I had on the mat, so I don't have any regrets about that. Absolutely, and you should not. Um, I mean, being ninth in the world at anything is out of this world, dude. Like, let's remember that. That is just such an impressive feat that you were able to, A, make it there, and then end up finishing ninth. I think that is still, um, you know, top 10. That's, that, that is, there, there's nothing else like it. I mean, obviously, number one, top three, but being top 10 in the world at something, especially at your first games, I think is yeah. extremely, extremely impressive. And um, so one thing that I did notice after the Olympics, when I was going through a couple of the, the pages that they had on you um, uh, throughout the internet, was I started seeing in 2017, end of 2016, 2017, 2018, a lot of medals started popping up. And you, I see some silvers, some bronze, and a lot more happening in these past two, two and change years. Um, is this kind of, was the Olympics, I know we've had your coming out party a couple times now, but was the Olympics really a catalyst to push you and, and, and get you to start really, really starting to meddle and, and become an extremely big figure, a bigger figure in the judo community? Uh, definitely, you know, because once, once you make it, I feel like once you make it on that stage, um, everything else, it, it becomes easier. So I made it, I made it to the Olympics. I knew it was possible to do it. So now when I'm setting my goals, I have to set my goals a little higher. So mm -hmm. now it's get a medal at the Olympics. So naturally, my goals are set higher than they were before. So more results are going to come because I expect more of myself. I put more into it and I've been there already. So I know I can get there. Now it's what can I do after I get there? So I think naturally the results start to come in after that. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. You got to set those goals high. Um, that's the way I like to do it. Sometimes you hit them. Sometimes you just come up short, but if you set them extremely high and you come up short, it's higher than most people even could have jumped. So that is, yeah, exactly. that is fantastic, man. And yeah, clearly you're going to keep killing it. So, um, what are the prospects for the 2020 games? What do you need to do or keep doing to make sure that you're in peak physical condition when, uh, when those 2020 games roll around? Um, so I made a change. So I moved from, San Jose to Boston, and Boston, and I'm training now with Jimmy Pedro and Travis Stevens. Jimmy Pedro was the Olympic team coach in 2012 and 2016, and Travis was my teammate, some Olympic silver medalist now. So I moved, I made the change. I'm training full-time in Boston now, um, two to three times a day, every day. It's, the training is harder than I've ever trained before. 
So it was harder than I, you know, harder than I was training in San Jose. Um, and it's just, I, I, in order for me to, to be successful now, I think it's, I, I have to give everything. Cause what, what I don't want to do more than anything is I don't want to look back after 2020 because my career is going to be done. I'm going to retire after 2020. I don't want to look back and, and say, man, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have put myself in this uncomfortable situation or I could have put a little bit more into this area. So, you know, that's, that's, I don't want to have any regrets. And that's pretty much what I'm focusing on now. I give a hundred percent. I'm taking everything day by day and I put a hundred percent into every day. So every day I wake up, I give a hundred percent at strength conditioning. I give a hundred percent at morning judo practice. I give a hundred percent at night judo practice. Every tournament, every match I have, I give a hundred percent, no matter how I'm feeling. I just, I need to go to bed at night knowing that I gave my, that I gave my all. And then the result doesn't matter. So whatever happens in 2020 happens because I know, Hey man, I could be in California right now, but I gave that up to come here and to train harder and to do this. And to, you know, so as long as I'm giving hundred percent, I'm okay with whatever result happens. But of course, the goal is to get on the podium in 2020. Of course, always the goal, man. And that is, that is some inspirational stuff. I love it. Giving 20, hundred percent at literally everything you can possibly do. Um, yeah, I mean, the results are what they are, but if you put in 100%, something tells me that there's a very good opportunity for you to reach your goal and really um, show the world what's going to happen in, in yeah. a couple of years. And I'm super, super excited for you, Colin. That is fantastic. So one last question, and you can get back to your regularly scheduled programming. Um, one thing that I try and ask everybody, all the athletes that come on, doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter the gender, but the monetary aspects of your sport specifically. Um, Olympic athletes, in my opinion, don't get enough recognition. They don't get enough money. They don't get enough praise. Um, you do like for a couple weeks and then we almost forget about you for lack of a better term. Um, yes. what are the monetary aspects like in judo be understanding that, you know, maybe there's, this is a long-term thing that you can do for the rest of your life. Maybe it's not. If you can just kind of explain a little bit around that and kind of what it looks like since you've been in it for such a long time now. Yes. Um, so with judo you know growing up in judo you think you have this goal and it's to get to the olympics um but then you know once you do that and once you're in a situation where i'm in now i'm 26 years old and i'm looking at it and now i'm like okay what am i going to do after this so after the olympics after you've given your entire life to a sport so i've given my entire life i've sacrificed so much for this sport what happens now and like you said usually you get a pat on the back, and I'll see you later, mm -hmm. uh, and, that, and that's it. But you know, my goal for, for afterwards, I, I'm I'm thinking, you know, I want to give back. So I'm I'm thinking, how can I give back to and help the next generation of athletes? So I'm going to the plan for me at least is to open up a school. I'm going to move back to the West Coast. I'm going to open up a school, and I am going to try to you know give to someone of the next generation of of athletes. Um, because I think that's, I, I think that's my, my, my job because judo has given so much to me. And even though, you know, yeah, you can, we can, we can sit here and talk about, uh, I wish there was more money in the sport. Yes. I wish we got more recognition. Yes. Because you feel like you're giving so much, but I, 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 I always tell myself, and this goes again, and giving a hundred percent of what I do. What is my why? I don't do this. To, for for the money 
or for the recognition because if I did, my values wouldn't be in line with my goals. And I would, you know, I, I don't think I would be as successful. And I would, I'd be doing it for the, all the wrong reasons. So, you know, I do it because I love it. And I'm going to give back because I want to give back to kids that actually do love it and that did, they don't necessarily have the opportunity to, 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 to get great coaching. So that's, what, that, that's kind of my goal, and that's kind of how I see the sport and what I wanna, how I want to keep incorporating the sport in my life after I'm finished with the competitive aspect of it. 100%, man. Just a couple things that really resonated with me while you were talking. One, um, what is my why? I literally have a... Um, an alarm that goes off or, or a reminder that goes off on my phone every night that asks me that to make sure that I remember why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, yep. and it's, it's, and, and then, as you said, if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, it's not, your values aren't going to be aligned correctly. And if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're probably not going to be as successful. Um, it just yep. turns out if you're doing it for the right reasons, you'll become more successful and, and Colton, we wish you nothing but success. So thank you again, man. So much Colton Brown, USA judo 2016 Olympian, 2020 hopeful man thank you so much sincerely appreciate you joining us today thank you i appreciate you having me it's been a blast love it man thank you so much hey thank you so much for listening to this episode with colton brown uh as i said his story was so much fun so interesting to listen to and hear really what he has going on in his time um if you guys don't mind please rate share review subscribe anything to get the word out a little bit comment tell me things you want me to do more i'm open-minded to all this stuff so please please give me some feedback there. Um, please follow us at ourathletes.us uh, on Instagram. If you have any interesting things you want to tell me, michael at ourathletes.us for email. Um, guys, thank you so much. I really want our athletes to get more and more um, recognition for what they do. So I think that this is my little tiny way of giving back. So other than that, guys, I hope you have a wonderful day.